Hello, Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm... Uh, I got I got real scared. Real scared. Oh, what scared you? I, I almost lost someone very, very important to me. No, it wasn't Rachel, everyone. Rachel's okay. Rachel's here on the podcast. You can all hear her. Everyone, you can hear Rachel. Uh, yes? I'm fine. That you, you hear that? She's fine. So don't ask about it. Don't email if Rachel's okay. She's fine. But I nearly lost someone even more important than Rachel. And who could that be? Lise. <gasps> How did you know it was Lise? Of course it was. Because we you were crying Lise. too. We love Lise. Can we, hey, can everyone give it up to Lise? Come on, Rachel. This is our last, this is her last time. Can you please I'm give it up to Lise? I'm crying. Can you hear Rachel's tears? They sound like applause, actually. Yay, yay, Lise. Lise Hampton, Hampton Edgar's Garibaldi Nahasapima Petalon herself. She is back, and so are we to talk about what Rachel, what's happening here on this podcast? Why are we? Why are We're we, who's here this to talk about an episode of Babylon Five, a sci-fi television series that we are rewatching and doing a episode by episode breakdown. And. What what's what's uh, all of this uh, all of this hubbub about lease? Oh, this is going to replace anybody who's watched the show understands. And we talk to the people who've who've seen the show before. Yeah, because like we, like I said, we've watched it before. We include spoilers. We do have spoilers, so yes, this is Lise Hampton's final endeavor in Babylon Five. Tears are shed by all, especially Jakar. He really is upset about his good pal, Lise. But Yum Yum Podcast is the name because of a special moment from Star Trek Discovery, one that Rachel really loves, and she guffaws over and fawns over, and every single time we explain Yum Yum from Star Trek Discovery, a new listener still doesn't get it, and old listeners may be getting tired of having it explained, but here's, here's the rub of it all. It's, it's both of those things for us when we watch the Yum Yum moment. We, it's almost like we have those new eyes again, where it's like, oh my god, what was this? I, I have a hard time comprehending that. Can we see it again? And we've lived in the Yum Yum for years now, where it's like, I'm tired of Discovery being Yum Yum all the time, but... We still bring it with us everywhere we go because there's always some new fascinating thing in a piece of media that we cover, and Yum Yum's a celebration of that because in Star Trek Discovery, a random side character did what, Rachel? It wasn't just she randomly said Yum Yum. There was, no, there's a whole cavalcade of strangeness. asked by another character who was portrayed by actress... Mm. Academy Award winning actress, I should say. Oh, did 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 this actress have an Academy Award at the time? No, she won it immediately after doing this show. It's almost you could say that Discovery stopped them from becoming an no. Academy Award winner earlier. Who who knows? Who knows? Um but Michelle Yeoh. Oh, her. Mm-hmm. Uh 
offers an opportunity to this individual who would be overselling to say character uh, offers an opportunity to this character to go kill the antagonist mm-hmm. of the show. Just straight up go murder him. And she says yes, of course, like a normal person. No. Would. She says no. I don't even know why you pretend to not know. She instead says yum yum. And it's not just like yum yum, like yes, it's sexily, breathily with a hair flick. And the licking of the lips, my favorite parts, because it's tasty, it's dear, it's yum yum. And we are very yum yum as we go through the final days of Babylon 5. Tears are not just rolling down the face because of Lise Hampton, Edgar's Garibaldi, Nahasapima Pedalon getting shot at, but because this is coming to a close, this series. This, this series and our podcast, each episode is just rolling towards an end, and it's been a long time in the making. For, for us, we've been at this for years now, and We've grown a lot. We've lo- we've learned to love Lise over the course of the podcast, something that we never thought we would do, but here we are to this day, still praising her, still learning the new... Fa- She's the yum-yum of, of Babylon 5, but we are up to episode 20 of season 5, called Objects in Motion. And the description, as known, is really kooky, but that's what you get when you own physical media. We own the old DVDs. Yes, that's right. The DVDs that include special features, audio commentary tracks, artwork that's incorrect or upside down or silly, as well as kooky DVD descriptions. Now there's Babylon 5 Blu-rays, and they don't include any of that shit. So what's the fucking... There's no morphing menus on the Blu-rays? What's the point? But here's the a point, point is to not continue the cycle of trauma. I boy I boycott the Blu-rays. I'm not buying them now. Now that there's none of those things because let me tell you what Objects in Motion is about according to the DVD description. And once you hear this, once you hear this, you will totally understand why owning the DVDs is a, is a worthwhile purchase. Well, I already know. You already know, so. but everyone listening, here it is. Jakar and Lita set out for new worlds, and Garibaldi departs with his favorite Martian, the Mars businesswoman he loves. After settling a score with the Red Planet's corporate leaders, oh yeah. I figured it had to be somebody on the board of directors of Edgar's Industries. What I need to know is which one. Not one. All of them. That was the deal. They all had to agree and back each other up in case things backfired. Of course, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no proof. You just leave that to me. Thanks, Lita. All of this uh, leading with yum yum. Uh, is, 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 do we just leave it at just letting everyone know that was a moment from discovery? Do we just stop there? Do we just say that's no, the name of the show? No. Uh, each uh, show that we do on the podcast has its own spin on yum yum that we dive into. And what is it with uh, this particular show, right? What are, 
what do do we talk about what made us feel yum yum? Who are you? What do you want? How did you get here? Who do you serve? Uh, what is yum yum energy? Yum yum energy. We measure it. We determine who has the most of it. Who is the most potent character that could have the ability to say yum yum if JMS, the creator of this series, was willing to put it in. He has the opportunities and yet he squanders them. 110 episodes, all of these movies, all of the, all of this stuff. And there is no yum yum from a character. But who could have said it in an episode is what we look at. And in Objects in Motion, mm-hmm. who in your eyes as an expert, a professor, a lecturer, a teacher, a priest of Yum Yum, who was the person with YYE? Garibaldi when he's talking to the board. Why? Because it's just so manic in a very specific sort of way where it's just like, Either he could say it, any of the board members could have said it. It was just a very yum-yum scene to me. It had so many trappings of yum-yum. The board, definitely. Garibaldi, heck, I'll even shout out number one during that scene. She could have said it, but I'm going to go with an old favourite, somebody who they they may as well change their name to yum-yum. Yeah. It's Lita. Yeah. Of course it is. I give it to Lita. Lita Alexander. She She's just filled with it in this episode that her and Jakar have to leave the station free. because she's going to destroy everything with her pure, unadulterated pleasure threshold level of yum-yum energy. Mm-hmm. We We have discussed in the past how there are some episodes where I don't remember them as individual episodes because when we've watched on our own and we haven't been paced by having to record, I just power through them. I like it's just like I, I gotta get it, I gotta get the next one, I gotta get the next one. You gotta get your next hit. And the end of season five is definitely a stretch of that for me. So I have trouble thinking of this episode specifically, especially with Objects at Rest being a real continuation mm-hmm. of a lot of the things in this plot. They're Objects in Motion, Objects at Rest, yeah. Yep. It's in the uh, name. Yep. Uh, I'm... Always like, oh, this is when Garibaldi finally leaves the station, but he doesn't leave the show yet. Not yet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Lee gets shot. Mm hmm. That was weird. That was weird. I always mix up some of the details as well because of how we merge them together, but also after all of the high points of the late part of season five with Londo and the Centauri and, and and that war that went on and now it's over, you get to this stage of it all where there are still plots had. Like, this episode has a plot. Like, it still has those things, but 
they are so far down the list of prior- priorities to what is far more uh, uh, a series of scenes of saying goodbye. It's saying goodbye to this character, saying goodbye to that character, but it's saying goodbye to elements of the show. We're going to say goodbye to the idea of the show. It's like the idea of it is is also concluding, and 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 that's what I really remember most. So some of it does get muddled up in my brain, like. For instance, it's Garibaldi more about the in- feeling of these episodes like, than the plot. Yeah, like with Garibaldi getting engaged and getting married and all of that in this episode, I mix that with Sheridan finding out he's going to be a dad. I'm like, oh, Garibaldi finds out he's going to be a dad too, right? Because he has a daughter in the last episode. But then it's like, oh, wait, is that Franz's kid? Because I, I don't have that much of a problem with that because... They are so mushed together on purpose, as you're saying. Like, they bleed into one another. It's not as if Objects at Rest is part two of this necessarily, even though the title would make you believe that, because it has its own very distinct plot that doesn't need this one in front of it. Like, it doesn't need it, but it's good to have it. And with Objects in Motion, I like it. It's a good episode. It's one that I do have a moment of disdain for, which is I have never cared for. And you've heard this on the podcast, people. You heard it when we started season five. I don't care for when Babylon 5 does the little shitty fill-in-time plots. Like, oh, there's a fucking guy who wants to kill Sheridan. There's a guy who wants to kill Garibaldi. There's a guy who wants to, you know, those plots, like the assassin plot, the crime plot, the gangster plots, whatever they are. There are so many of them in Babylon 5 and episodes where it's like the probe plot in A Day uh, uh, Day in the Strife. Uh, It is so many of those. I hate them because they're so obvious of what they are, which is to fill out time and to give it a sense of structure. And this episode has that, which is, uh uh-oh, Garibaldi, you're going to get assassinated by some guy with an agenda. And it's not as if none of it makes sense, but the episode and the writing doesn't give a shit about it either. So why should I give a shit about it? It's just there to appreciate for the sanctity of upholding storytelling machinations but actually consuming it, not so interesting. And that's what I have a quibble with with this episode. I always remember that element of it just being like, this is one of the last examples of the series having to abide by those rules, and it does so in the most offhanded way. And I've had resentment about that with objects in motion, I don't know if you feel similar, especially now that we've gone through the podcast, we've had to analyze every single episode. We see the patterns, we see the strings, we see uh, certain uh, tools being used. Yeah, it, it definitely is one where you feel the script at various points, but you do your best to kind of ignore it and look past it to see what's happening with the characters because that's where your interest naturally goes to anyway at this point because you're so invested in these people and their lives. We would rather just scenes of characters talking and we would forgive if there was no plot. Yeah, yeah. I would be fine if this was a series of scenes of characters 
basically getting ready to I leave. I always get annoyed by the non-assassin because they just... Uh, it's so quick and meaningless. I think what it they works do. Like, better like, than like, the Mars guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like he's just so openly villainous when he's not meant to be villainous yet. <laughs> when we talk about Star Trek Discovery, we get really, really angry at them having whole plots and scenes and, and just time dedicated to characters exchanging pleasantries at one another and exchanging words at one another when they should be having a plot. They should be focusing on a thing because they haven't earned these character moments is what we say in Discovery. And now we're at this stage with B5 where we've earned the character stuff and we no longer need any of the typical Babylon 5 things to fill out time. We can just have Lita and Jakar talking. I don't need oh, Jakar talks to Lita because of the... Like, no, it's just they're going to be leaving soon and they're going to sort out their details, but they're going to talk about something deeper, something more profound, and they're going to learn about each other. And that's the gold of Objects in Motion yeah. is, is all of those things that are filling out the episode while the skeletal structure of... Uh, there's an assassin on Babylon 5, and then there's the non-assassin, and uh-oh, watch out, and Lise, you've been shot, no, emotional turmoil. It is instead more exhilarating to see Jakar have to tell Lita that her time is about to come with mm. with the changes of life, with having to go through the grief, having to go through all of these hardships. She she will have to shed tears eventually. She cannot just stay strong because he knows for a fact that that's not how it works. And just to talk about that, we've got Jakar and Lita, and they're going to be exiting the show together, which is an interesting combination because they've only had like two yeah. conversations in the show. And the show drew attention to that. It's ironic. You have to leave because everybody wants you. They're fighting over you. And I have to leave because nobody wants me. And yet we are the same in many ways. It ties them not through plot. It's not like they're good buddies. It, it makes the choice to show something that's more complicated than that. It very much is they both have to leave, but for different reasons, as Lita herself points out. But it is also because thematically they link. And there are certain things that link even outside of that. Both of them have created a cult of personality that's gone outside of them and that is hurting the people around them because Lita has her group. She yeah. has her faction, mm -hmm. but she's willingly stoking the flames while Jakar is trying to fan them out, but like put them out, but he's just fanning the flames even more. And I love it because Lita is 
in a position. She's not directly the same, but she's in a position that we can connect to with where Jakar started. A person who's angry, a person who's a victim, someone who wants to lash out, someone who feels justified in their anger, someone who is capable of doing extreme harm, but they think it's okay to do that because there's greater oppression to fight. And that's what we started with Jakar, right? Yeah. Both of them have been through massive changes. And it's easy to say that Jakar has changed for the better and Leader has changed for the worse. But it isn't as simple as that. And I think we appreciate it in that way because we've grown to really, really dig into and enjoy Lita as a character. Whereas I I wonder if people who aren't as into Lita just are like excited for Jakar to have an apprentice to spiritually guide. There's a tragedy to Lita because we saw her throughout the series, be the the example of good. Yeah. She believed in causes. She was willing to sacrifice herself. She was willing to think that the... Willing to work with everybody else for the greater good. To see the big picture and be understanding that she's just a small player within it, only to have the... Ki- like, just... Just kick down, just keep, be be beaten down again Sand and again and again and again. In her face. To where she becomes what we see now, where she gets to that point of what Jakar we were reminiscent of in those early days, and thus he can bond and connect with her because she went from a, an individual who was a part of the system. She was she had blinders on. She was naive, and and then she broke away, and she became a bit more cynical. But she still had hope, and and now all she thinks about is the agenda. What can I get out of this? What's this person trying to play at? Thus, she cannot accept that Jakar is doing just an act of kindness that he wants to help her he wants her to see a path forward she needs it to be something else a path through the grief and the hatred that and the revenge that's fueling her we talk about it on the Babylon 5 discussions, but also a lot with our uh, journey through the expanse with how certain people, certain groups need to be um, propped up by failure. They need to be validated that the world is bad to keep doing what they're doing. Because if they approved otherwise, then they could not. And Lita has very much gotten to that point. And she's been correct thus far. But now Jakar is here to say, I'm not like that. I'm not here about the telepath genetics. I don't give a shit about that. I don't fit in that box. And I have so much to teach you. And there's just such a, again, tragedy, sadness to... and, And Patricia Tolman delivers it so well. But she... 
she says it with just like absolute like sincerity of belief that of course Jakar's got an angle to play. It's not even like she, everybody. Why, would, why wouldn't he? To her, yeah, it's very much a Garibaldi approach to people as well. Oh, and and a Bester approach to people as well. Like everyone, everyone's always got a knife ready to to lunge at you with, and you have to be you have to be ready. You have to be ready to defend yourself, but also to destroy them. You have to be ready to get a leg up in the world to get what you want. Since you brought up the Jakar follower and how you thought that was a a little bit overwrought for your sensibilities. How about you tell us a bit more about that plot and what's what's going on there? So we know that Jakar has a has a massive cult of personality built up that he's basically become the yes, new more Jaquan. and more nuns have come, including this one who speaks to him and basically is like, "You fucking owe me. You owe me." I spent all of my money to come here from Nod, and I've been making these statues of you, and I came here to worship at your feet. And Jakar's just like, you're the fucker that's making these? And just owns this guy of being like, I don't want you, I don't want your statues, I owe you nothing. I am not responsible for your decisions. It is a, like, it's a great scene in lots of ways. Like, it is very powerful. But I always, I'm like, oh, that, I don't know. Yeah, like, this is just, like, it's coming to a head. Like, it makes sense, but it just feels like it's obliged to exist mm. in a lot of ways. Where it's just like, well, yeah, we need a scene where it's just like, well, it's very clearly dangerous for Jakar to stay on the station in a very direct way rather than the fact that the nuns are overtaking the station mm-hmm. by the by him being there. It's like, oh, no, somebody might try and kill him as well. It's like giving another reason to for him to leave. And it is very logical and it's something that he bore up as well. Yes, he did. So it's, it's a just concern. Like, it's, it just feels like it's ticking a box. We're having all of this talk about Jakar being a guy that's really intelligent and smart and he knows things and is wise beyond his years, but he has to leave for the sake of his people. But it always has struck me as odd that he doesn't recognize that his attitudes towards this guy would motivate someone yeah. to probably turn against and kill him. Like Everybody it's so gets obvious. Everybody gets to be a dumb bum occasionally. I mean, Jakar should know this, right? Like on Jakar. some little level, he should not be surprised that he helped should. motivate this man to assassin to try to assassinate him. Yeah, he should. 
because Jakar is very uh, like aggressive in his in his stance against this guy. Yeah. And then it leads to this uh, former follower, this former disciple, the man selling all of these statues to be angry and try and murder Jakar. And that's hilarious because he accidentally shoots Lise because Jakar gets saved, gets knocked out of the way because this was an event with two assassins and one of them fucked up and the other one managed to shoot the wrong person. Well, well yeah. The other one was thwarted. He yeah, well, he fuck. He had his. He he could have done it, but he he fucked it up. He was he you know he he got fucked up because he was being oh so clever with his little tech. But they found him out, so they got his ass. Yeah, and it didn't seem to give him that much of an advantage anyway. No, not really. It didn't work for him. Well, maybe it would have worked after his attempt to mm. sh- like kill them. Like if he his succeeded, escape. he could have escaped. But I. I just the shot of Lise getting winged by the PPG is very funny. Oh, it is just so corny, and it's also because it's a character we care so little about. So there is a option that she could have died in this moment, and I feel absolutely nothing. Yes, it's like oh no, not Lise. We'll love we love Lise. We love Lise. And, and oh no, Jakar motivated a guy to commit an Very assassination. conveniently, so that it, it's not that uh, they, they get the guy just in time, but Lise gets a little bit hurt. It, it you know turns it round and it's just even more dull because they try and pull that trick go home don't don't tell me to go home don't turn your back on me Jakar Jakar we start the episode with a typical Babylon 5 thing of let's say that you are in danger of being killed bum 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 opening credits Garibaldi and Lise someone's gonna kill you because of Edgar's Industries and number your involvement number one has come all this way to tell you so because number one has an investment in the future of Mars and uh, you could help that if you survive oh no no there's a corporate conspiracy at Edgar's Industries something that we have not spent any time with since midway through season four but oh well we're doing it now right near the end of the show and Lise is just flummoxed she's like I don't know anything. Why would they want to kill me? Innocent little me. I don't know jack shit. It's like, Lee, they don't want to do it because of you. It's because of this guy, this bold guy. He'll he'll crack into their secrets and find stuff out. And, and he's going to really shake up the status quo. And they don't want that. So they've sent some assassin in. And Rachel... 100 plus episodes of Babylon 5, and here we are again with a season one story. Yeah, yeah, they they fall back sometimes, don't they? It's, it's not all growth. No, with, with, with uh, this, though, how do you feel about how it is handled? Because... Yes, you can tell the same type of story, but is it told the same type of way? And 
Would you say that this uh, corporate conspiracy assassin plot is handled like it was in previous seasons? Um, no, not entirely. The main difference is they waste less time on it. That's it. Waste less time. Still waste time on it, but yes, less time. It, less time is wasted. Uh, and, and that means that we get to watch Garibaldi just do whatever the fuck he wants as usual. Truly wild. We have this whole entire thing about seeing this assassin and him killing a guard and then swapping the link and he's using the link as a headphone to hear the security channel and on and on and on it goes and you see Zach investigating it. He's like, oh, this guy must be a pro and and, and, it, and it, you don't feel any of it. You don't feel any of the tension. You don't feel any of the suspense because... They shot Garibaldi once. They're not going to do it again, right? That would be boring. And that's where the crescendo should be of, oh, no, they shot Lise, not poor innocent Lise. She's just an ordinary person. She shouldn't get hurt by this, but she does. Oh, no. And again... Nothing is felt. No no feelings are felt about when this. When Franklin's like, it's up to her now. <laughs> great. Great. Okay, we've got... How long have we got left in this episode? Oh, okay. Okay. Do you feel as if... If, like, truly... Mm. If they killed Lise here, would that matter to you? Like, would that matter? Who, like... Well, I mean, the most you get is, oh, no... Poor Garibaldi. Yeah, I wouldn't care about Lise. I would care about the impact on other characters. I wouldn't feel her loss. Would you feel even that much? Because I would be uh, worried about what this will do for Mars's independence. Oh, not even for Garibaldi's well-being? Well, you mentioned that already. But would you feel that? Somewhat, yeah. I don't even think I would. Like even it's in this like, episode, okay, well now he's definitely gonna relapse. Even in this episode, when he breaks the rules, he 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 goes full renegade mode. I just am sitting there completely glazed over. He's yelling at Zach. He's give me five <sighs> minutes, and I'm just no no response, no, no response. I'm like, okay, like, just this do is your thing. Go on, go on, go on. Oh, Rachel's yawning through it because she's just so fucking tired <sighs> of it. Go on, go on. Go on. Yeah, sure. Because we've seen Garibaldi go haywire over less. Yeah. So him going haywire over this feels routine, which I guess is the the statement being made. And here's the thing, too, is Garibaldi is allowed to be the filthy, dirty Cop. cop because he's our guy. So when Zach says, no, you can't do this, and, and Garibaldi says, yes, I can, we're supposed to root for Garibaldi yeah. in that moment. We're supposed to be like, fuck yeah, Garibaldi, get this guy, he I'm hurt on, Lise. I'm on Zach's side, but it it does allow Lita to be a badass, and I always welcome that. He drags this assassin into Lita Alexander's cell, demands that she rip the information from his brain, and... The assassin, give him credit. He's trained. He is he is skilled, as they keep telling us, but now they're yep. showing us. And that's a nice continuation of the stuff that we saw back at 
cycle headquarters with Bester of the training and the exercises that they do to, to fight against each other. Mm-hmm. And and goes back to the railroad where they were singing Mary Had a Little Lamb for that exact same reason. And now we see he is an ordinary person doing it and it doesn't work because Lita is a little scamp as well. Oh, you forgot to carry the seven there. Oh, you let me in. That was foolish. No, yeah, it's because I'm he, in the back he door. says something and he's, he lets the anger come through mm-hmm. and that. Let's her in, and she takes the thing from his brain and puts the guy to sleep. And makes him forget all of it. Lita's, Lita is so good in this scene. Patricia Tolman's having the time of her life. Love it. Love it. Here for it. Nighty night. And then Guy goes down on the ground, and Garibaldi finds out... It's the board. No, not just any of the board. The entire board is what? against you, Garibaldi. So he's having to pull out whatever remaining hair and in his head is about this. What makes him finally get fucking married? Like that that's it. That's it. Not not I I I love you. I want to be with you. It's yeah, all of those things, but I need to be married to you to fuck up the board. He doesn't say it like that, though. He says it as a, we have had so many challenges stop us. Let's do it before another crazy thing comes our way, which it inevitably will. But then he uses it. his authority as husband to fuck the board yeah. real good. But he doesn't say it like that. And there's this supposedly sweet moment of Garibaldi finally I'm settling down, marrying, and he grabs the, the, the random doctor guy and gives him a big shake and a kiss, and he's like, I'm getting married, and the guy's just, ooh, surprised. And would this, obviously we don't care for this. We don't, we don't have, no. we don't love it. Would this be a good conclusion to this relationship story? If we cared about Lise, if we cared about their relationship, yeah. You know, being invested in the journey probably would have helped me be invested in the end of that journey. But it ain't here. Well, uh, just even in terms of uh, uh, this being the type of relationship in a story... Do you like these types? The these types of oh, we've never managed to this, settle down. I love second chance romances. Thank you very much. Some of my favorites. It's not my go-to. It's not my go-to, but some of my favorites, especially in TV, have that aspect to them of like it didn't work out in the past. Are we ready to take a chance on us again? Is it going to work this time? Are we going to make the same mistakes as before? Um, are we too different now than what we were when we were together before for it to still make sense? Love all of those things in books, TV, movies. How can one be successful at telling that type of story? And how does Babylon 5 not meet that? Because as you read in the last episode the, from the compendium for B5, 
you can say all of the facts of the Lise and Garibaldi relationship, and they would probably meet what you would go through as what is needed for that type of story to be effective. The main thing for me, main thing for me, and this is done easier, I guess is the word, easier in romance books where they alternate perspective. But when those things work, I have to care about both of the characters individually and their happiness as people and not just as a couple or even just one of them. Like, Garibaldi's here. Like, at this stage, I'm like, I get so infuriated by what happens to him in season four, but I'm not invested in him as a character by at this point. And I don't give a shit about Lise and I don't give a shit about them together. So it like fails on three fronts. I'm not invested in any individual part of it, let alone the whole. I, I like Garibaldi well enough as a character. I'm invested in him, but the true but failure... I don't care about him having a romantically satisfying life. Yeah. Like, I care about him, and I care about him doing his job more than him as a person or him as a romantic partner to somebody. Like, that part of his life... I've always just been told about. Yes. Like, because you don't care about their past. Like, one of the things you talked about was how to be able to look forward to their future, you have to have understood their past and, and liked it and, and wish that you got a window into it maybe more so. There is none of that with Lise and Garibaldi. They tell us tell us so, so much, but we never actually garner any emotional connection towards it and you you said you much prefer to see him at his job that's highlighted in this episode as well because him versing the board this newly introduced foe that comes in and out in one scene is far more entertaining to me than him and Lise having romantic platitudes at one another. Him on a video call to a bunch of 1930s bad guys is more fun to me and more true to the character because we like seeing Garibaldi have to stick it to the man. He has to go up against some sort of evil doer and he handles them in his abstract kooky eccentric manner and that's what he does he, he he phones up the board and he has number one there and he's blackmailing all of them and he has all of this goss and he has all of this details and he needs them to be out of there and he does the whole if i die before i'm supposed to then you're all going to die before you're supposed to so don't fuck with me or i'll fuck with you and doesn't that feel just more in line with Garibaldi. And not only just does it feel more in line with Garibaldi, but isn't it more interesting to watch? Yeah, it is way more exciting. But don't you think that there's something even more damning that 
We have seen Garibaldi do this a million times at this point, but we would rather watch that scene play out yet again than any furthering of the relationship side of the character, the romantic side of the character. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's a weird part to fall flat. And... It's one that I often gloss over when I think about season five because there's so much of it that does work for me. But, like, this is a big a- aspect of this episode. It's it, very important for Garibaldi's journey within season five. And I still don't give a shit, and I am fine with not giving a shit. I'm not annoyed that the show fails for, for me. Uh, it's just matter of fact and move on. All I know is anything that I've ever wanted, I've never gotten. But I do know that the one thing that I want in this world more than anything else is you. All right, so it'll be Lee Hampton, Edgar's Garibaldi, and we'll never get all that put <laughs> on our bathrobes. But... Jakar calls him John. Jakar is Jakar leaving. Jakar calls him John. Jakar is leaving and he has to say goodbye to Sheridan. He's a little scamp who calls him John. Rachel is getting so intoxicated on the Jakar bandwagon that baby talk is happening. She calls, he yes, he calls Sheridan John. They have a beautiful conversation uh, before he has to leave the station. And this is a scene that has amazing lines of dialogue, of course history between the two but it's those performances it's these two these two actors just have such a such a warmth and chemistry that i don't even need to hear the dialogue to feel the honesty of this that they clearly had such respect for one another in real life that it transmits into the characters have respect for one another as well. I mean, Bruce Boxleitner is the lead actor of the show. He has so much great responsibility on his shoulders. And Andres Katsoulis is one of the greatest actors in Babylon 5. And everyone knows it too. And you stick them in a scene together and there's going to be sparks flying off of the screen and I just love it. It's just so beautiful and you have one of the great sentiments of Babylon 5. And we we haven't talked about this in a while, which is Babylon 5 is a place. It's a physical place. We've we've inhabited this place with these people for, for so many seasons now that you can almost take it for granted, but there is something about when you watch a television show, there's just a strange relationship that is formed of an attachment to the physical location that it is taking place in, even though it may not be real. Obviously, in this case, it's not a really a space station. It's a jacuzzi factory with some walls, but there's there's just certain parts of yourself that get lost in it because You've spent time. You've grown as they've grown. Uh, our perceptions, our views on the series has, has changed since we first started, and so has the characters. And I just, I just really love his whole entire speech about how there will still be parts of us left here. The memories will still be here. Yeah. The part of me that is leaving will miss the part of you that is staying. 
Yeah, it's very sweet and it rings very true to me. You you leave part of yourself behind when you move on and even when it is more of a positive or exciting thing, like Jakaris found the excitement in this big shift in his life. But even when it is purely just from joy, there is always some bitterness. There, like I think it's just a fact that moving, even if it is like moving on, ha- like is just by its nature bittersweet. But there's also an excitement for things to come. There is a joy, and they have a joy with one another. They're both going to be leaving. Uh, just Jakar is going first, and he has to go because of everything that has gone on here today has just proven it. But then they start playing around. It doesn't just stay as a sentimental, heartfelt, sloppy, all-crying scene. They have some jokes. They have some levity. He calls him John for the first ever time. Jakar has rarely called characters by their first names. He always calls them by their last name. Even Londo is usually called Malari. And Sheridan is always called Sheridan, never John. And until this moment, it's like I never notice that he never calls them by their first name unless they only have a one-name type of deal like Delenn. But it's a neat detail that is there. Like, like, what do you think about that? That... I love it. Included in his character. Every time. I love it. It, It's just. It's really interesting that it feels like such a Jakar thing, not a non thing. Yeah. And from a writing stance, what do you think it is that JMS very early on said, I'm going to make sure that this character never refers to people by their first name? That's a decision you make. And you have to abide by it. Why? Why do you think that is? I think it is like it. it's hard for me to articulate right now because I want to say because Jakar. And that's not really an answer. But I don't know how else to say it right now. It, it's It's just like it's sort of a, a sign of respect, I guess, and like it makes him feel old school. It also has a bit of a distance, which Jakar often has. Like he he grows close to people. He's very very tender with them, and very much in their in their court after a time. But there is a, a formality to how he speaks to everyone. Jakar never really was a character like, say, Londo, where when you hung out with him, it's just casual. Like, when when Londo and Garibaldi would sit at the bar, they weren't having to always perform their roles. But Jakar has always had that air to him. Like, you rarely get a just a schlubby Jakar. You don't hear him drinking and calling him John. Yeah, he's never not performing as... An ambassador, as citizen, as prophet. Or even as friend. And now he calls him John, and 
denies that he has never called him John before and now they're laughing and having a good time and you can tell he just is doing this to wind John up a bit and they have He's a- being a scamp. Which is being classic Jakar, classic Jakar. And off he goes. Leto Alexander is taken down to the docking bays. Jakar is there, and they're leaving together. They're going to go on a little quest beyond where we know, and we'll never see those two characters on their journey. We will just know it happened, and Lita breaks free of her restraints. She could have the entire time, but she did it because it made everyone else feel comfortable, and she liked the restraints after a certain period yeah. of time. It turned her on. Little, little, little kinky there, but that's what we know. And Jakar seems aroused by this and excited. And they have an exchange about, ooh, I smell a new book coming along. Ooh, will this be the further addition to, to the mighty book of Jakar? Who knows? And I really like how they lock, like they just, they just have this rhythm with one another. They these feel two, solid. You know that there's going to be adventures had. Like we don't need to see them. We don't need to see them. We don't need to read about them. We just know those two so well that we can just believe. Which is why it's so that fun there would to be see so them much. together in the road home too. Oh yeah, yeah. In the cartoon, that is true, and. Uh, they may be gone, but somebody is there to say goodbye, to leisure at least, but in his own way. Who is it, Rach? I love the way that Zach looks on, like, oh, I, oh, I really have missed my shot. She's gone now. But he accepts it. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, that, that, that ship sailed, and now it's... She's flying out of Babylon 5 and she's with uh, the horniest ambassador I know, Jakar. <sighs> what is cool is Jeff Conway plays it beautifully. There's this sense of loss, but also yeah. acceptance. And Zach is the example of how to handle unrequited love. Yes. Lanier is not. And although Lanier is not in this episode he's not involved i did think about that i was like this is how you we know what happens next episode so Mm -hmm. it's even more like oh god oh god it's coming it's coming no 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 but zach is a great guy and he keeps it calm he keeps it cool he still has emotions, but he's not going to let them dictate everything. And he respectfully allows them to leave with no fuss. Lise has been shot, but has survived and now married to Garibaldi. And she does the unimaginable, which is convince Garibaldi, and successfully so, to leave Babylon 5. And he is. Garibaldi, the man who's been here since the start that was brought up in Darkness Ascending, is he's one of the few people that's been here since the start. And the idea of being the last soldier on the battlefield has very much haunted him the last couple of seasons, and now he's leaving. I think ever since he got that possible flash forward, where he's like, this is my destiny! Back in season one. Yeah. Yeah. And talk us through... Garibaldi's goodbye because everyone's farewells are different. Yeah, he, he's is 
behind the scenes, kind of literally. Um, he, we know that he's going. We we know for, we've known for a long time that this is coming, and John is welcoming Delenn back from Minbar. And they're both like, oh, it would have been nice for me to see Garibaldi. And then Garibaldi rocks up and like, hey. And uh, then he tells Lise to go away. Go away. She's just like, I'll, I'll go tell them to shut the fuck up and wait for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can afford to do that. <laughs> um, And then he's like, I'm no good at goodbyes. And then proceeds to do something that's really heartfelt and sweet and very true to Garibaldi. What is true to Garibaldi is that he can be very articulate and in tune with his emotions. He is someone that has been there for everyone. He was the heart of the group, but he does not recognize that in himself all of the time. And he gives a very good goodbye. He gives a very heartfelt one, as stated, and you feel it, but he still can't accept it, and he and he laments that he's not as as beautifully written as Jakar is, but he can be, yeah. and he's he is still in this putting moment. himself down and going, I could be better, but I'm not. And they talk about that after he goes, do you think he'll be okay? And Sheridan, with a big grin, thinks so. I think he'll be just fine. And... You get that sense of this is Garibaldi riding off into the sunset. He has the ultimate happy ending. He's going to marry the girl of his dreams. He's going to be rich. Well, he's going to be successful. He's already married. Well, yes, that's what I mean. Like he's going to be. He's going to. He's married to the girl of his dreams. He's going to be rich. He's going to be successful. He's going to not be an alcohol. Like he's not going to relapse. He's going to have this and this and this, and he's going to carve out something of his own, and. That's that's good because he thought he would just die face down in Brown Sector or something. He would just get killed on the job for nothing, and now he's living for something. And it makes you think back to how Garibaldi would give that type of advice to Sinclair, even where you've got to figure out what like, life's that, worth but that's living for. for. Other people, not not for me. He was the person that never thought of himself as a hero. Now. He recognizes that he is, whether it is in the big sense of how he was a war hero and he he was helping of all of these things, or just on a personal level, on a smaller, more quiet one. And he leaves, and 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 Delenn and John reflect upon this and think about how they're next, you know. And it's, it's only a matter of time before they're saying goodbye as well and I think it's a nice sort of split that John had that conversation with Jakar about leaving behind the place and then Delenn and John after Garibaldi's goodbye are reflecting on the people. They are going to walk the five miles of Babylon 5 because Delenn realizes I've never done that before and we may never get the chance again. And JMS is really astute at getting those type of things into his scripts. It makes you think about real life and how 
perhaps when you move from a place or you're seeing a person for a final time or whatever it is, you realize that there's something innocuous but important that you have never done before. We never did that. Oh, oh, when was the last time that we got to do that? Or, mom, maybe now. Maybe now is the time. Now is the time for the spotlight, the part of the show where we shine a spotlight on an actor or actress that appeared in a given episode. Rachel, tell us who is the actor that we are talking about, what character they played, and let us know what you think of the performance. Uh, We selected the lead board member, whose name I can't remember. Peretti. Peretti. Garibaldi says it with a an lot. extra... With an extra level of disdain. Yes. Peretti. Like, you Italian, you betrayed me. We're meant to be together. Uh, and this performance is given by Walter, Walter Williamson. WW Walter Williamson. And what do you think about this performance? He's a one-scene wonder, That's but he's fine. It's fun. He is hamming it up. Uh, go it, going straight for it. Like it's just, I guess, a little bit unbridled. Oh, it's 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 totally off the chain. If this wasn't Babylon Five, where we've become so used to this type of performance, we've talked about this before. They hire a lot of theater actors, a lot of soap opera actors, a lot of comedic actors, and it gives them this. This kind of tapestry of strange yeah. side performances in this series, where go back to all the way to the first episode of all the TV movie, right? Where we had John Fleck, where he's an actor that's exactly like this, where he's hammy and over the top and strange, but there's just a certain cadence and rhythm in this series that allows this performance in season five to not feel out of place, even though. It is. Like, this is an unnatural performance. It's very much a cheesy, over-the-top, uh, like, cartoon character. He's smoking a cigar. He's got the facial hair. He looks like Orson Welles. Like, he just yep. so, so... He feels like a Simpsons character. That's how he feels. I could say that this is a bad performance. I could say this is a badly written char- character. But in the confines of what this series has been doing... It works perfectly in the moment. I I like this. I love this performance. It's so what I need of the series. And I always stress this too. It's fine. When we hear the rumors of a potential Babylon 5 reboot, I always am curious of if it did come to be, would we no longer have this type of thing? Because this feels a bit like of an artifact of 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 nineties and early two thousands television. Like we don't get these type of performances in modern sci fi TV. We don't get this guy in the Expanse. We don't get this guy in Killjoys even or no. or, or no, 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 Discovery. No. Killjoys is probably the closest one where they have wacky characters. But even then, I just don't think that we get these and. We've 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 asked this before, but do you miss this type of yes television? Yeah, I do. I do. It's just it adds texture, and it's 
delightful. Even when it's awful, it's still kind of delightful. I, I, I think there's just too much emphasis on TV has to be... Crisp. It has to be crisp. It has to be the highest form like of art movie. ever. Yeah, but it has to be Cinematic. serious. Cinem- yeah. You're, you're a fan of Buffy. Yes. If they made Buffy today, oh God. we would never have Spike because that would be too uh, much fun and silly and over the top. Yeah. I don't think we would. not, And we wouldn't have him played by a not British guy. No, well, that, maybe we no, would. That, that still happens. Um, but awful. but <laughs> I love this performance. I love the back and forth. I, I really adored his speech about where we are. Uh, the the head of our security we was the one who who uh, who sent the assassin after you. We had no involvement, and uh, we, yes, we uh, we settled the matter. We we went after him, and uh, unfortunately, he killed himself and had a suicide letter that admitted everything, and we're absolved of any wrongdoing. So, even if you had proof, it wouldn't be good enough. So you can't get. I just. <laughs> He feels like that Simpsons character in the Cayman Islands, the one who's like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have said it was legal. Holy crap. Ah, it's too hot. Like that guy. Yep. (laughs) He feels exactly like that guy. Apparently, he hanged himself in his home last night. In his suicide note, he took responsibility for the whole thing. So uh, anything else you might have heard would be sheer speculation and impossible to prove. Do you have any pieces of trivia or information? Have you seen him in anything before? I I... have not really seen him in anything before, but I did note down certain roles he's played that make sense to me. only got 17 credits on IMDb. Seems like he's much uh, more of a stage actor. And acts. Yes. Um, But since he's like on small-scale things when it comes to stage work... They're, they're not listed in many places that I could find. Theatre is always harder to yeah, unless keep record of as well. Yeah. Um, but the main thing that I have seen him in is Mr. Deeds, where he, he plays the opera singer. He plays a lot of priests, uh, plays an opera singer. He plays a lot of, I guess, roles of class or authority which i can see definitely i can definitely see the priest thing i've seen i can see him in that garb and attire and making it work but yes mr deeds is one that i've also seen adam sandler's mr deeds of course and he was fun in that he's goofy i think that movie is that the movie with eric avari who's the butler in that yeah that's the, Eric Avari, right? Yeah, Who's um, in B5? Um, as the rabbi in uh, Rock Cried Out in a Hiding Place, uh, the great character actor Eric Avari, but the one who Brian George competes for roles against. <laughs> oh, Brian George, I, one of my favorites. Think, uh, that, do, that isn't sitting right with me, but I know. No, I think Eric Avari is like one of the board. I know he's in that movie. Someone is the butler, but I know he's in that movie. But. Uh, this actor, any pieces of trivia outside of just the minor roles he's played and uh, that he's involved in the theatre scene, Rachel? It's John Turturro. Hmm. Uh, as Emilio. I know Eric Rivari's in the movie, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. Um, so, 
I I did a little digging to find out what he's doing now. What 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 what's he been up to? What has he been up to? Uh, did you take a look into any of this, Ryan? Not too deep, deeply. His IMDb is written by himself, the bio, and he breaks down how his life has gone, that he had a wife, he no longer has a wife, he has a kid, and how he retired from this and started working on that. And it's very detailed in that way, but also vague enough where it's cute. It's just very cute when you read an actor's own description of themselves and their career and they have to sum it up. Like That's a challenge, especially if you're doing it on a TV and movie database where you don't have the longest credits for TVs and movies. So how do you justify it? And it's a lot of uh, talking about uh, growing up in this area and going to school for this stuff and having the passion for the craft and then he actually talks about life just getting in the way of mm. wanting to pursue things greater than he got to pursue them in film and television. And that's something, too, that we've, we've gone over is some of these actors don't have the longest credits. Heck, yeah. even some of the main cast. And the reasoning is not always they just gave up on acting or they couldn't find a job or couldn't find this. We've had a variety of reasons. We've had people who were deemed too old for roles. We've had people who've just had personal crisis come up or just in this case life takes a place yeah. you you're married you have a family you have to get steady income and do this or this or this and perhaps it's easier to work not on a on a sound stage on a tv show but rather in the theater world or running your own uh businesses within the industry mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so one interesting point that I found was that he, in 2016, was the artist in residence at Lewisburg College for the spring semester. Very cool. So he's done a little bit of work with colleges. And I found his Facebook, his LinkedIn, and his Goodreads. What's he reading right now? He's an author. Oh, does he write books about his dogs like Ace Mask? No. <laughs> Damn it. No. Um he he started out writing a non-fiction uh book that was about theater acting and young people. Um but he also wrote um a book about miscarriage and grief around that. Okay. And then he uh, wrote some nonfiction. I mean, uh, then he seems to have switched a little bit to uh, working on fiction, ebooks specifically. As is the case, you have a good reads. Uh, so he wrote Bobby on Broadway. Uh, would you like the synopsis? Of course. Everyone's sitting at the edge of their seat saying, I want to know the head of the board's book, yep. Bobby on Broadway. About a 13-year-old playing the lead in a Broadway play, but not before his parents get captured in an African revolution and a deranged kid from home tries to murder him. What a series of words. <laughs> um, th- that novel was followed by... The Gentle Madness of Bertie Stopford. 
Okay, is this just another book or is this a series of books? I think it is just one, but it's a true story about the man who got one of the largest collection of jewels in the world out of Russia during the 1917 revolution. Uh, okay, that, that, that does sound interesting. How did they do it? Don't know. Uh, and the last one that he, he details is The Maiming of Binky Norris. No, not Binky! Involves child abuse, mental illness, and memories of a family out of control. He's got a lot of serious subject matters in these books with silly names. Yes. Yes, he does. Give one of these characters a normal name. And then like the- Ryan. You can use that. I'll I'll allow it. Um, I'll I'll pen my name to that. He does specifically say, I want to thank Amazon slash Kindle for developing this new way of publishing. It makes it very easy to just concentrate on the work and forget about marketing. marketing. I thank you for taking the time to read this. Welcome to my world is how it ends. But I do want to also say that he has a little paragraph that's about his daughter. Oh, that's sweet. Is it sweet? I was going to say, is it sweet? Oh, that's so sweet. That's lovely. But then I don't know. I live in Los Angeles. According to his Facebook, he lives in Las Vegas now as of 2020. My daughter, the love of my life, Mm -hmm. was married earlier this year. So now I have to share her. Boo. Um, That's it? (laughs) Boo. And then it moves on to like, when I'm I'm not auditioning, um, apparently he revoiced a French... Film, French oh. animated film. Okay. I can um, hear that. He can be a little French guy. Yeah. And he, he usually writes from midnight onwards. Oh, my. Is he the dad from My Dad Wrote a Porno where he's just drinking wine late into the night writing these books? I love all of this, by the way. I think it's very sweet. In his IMDb description, he also talked about how much he loved his daughter and how important that relationship is. Yeah. And that is a spotlight section. Now, on to the part that everyone's waiting for. Everyone's really keen to know what we rate this on the impervious scale of yum being bad and yum yum being good. We're the only podcast that rates things correctly. So, what would you give this episode of Babylon 5? Yum or yum yum? I don't know. It is... You know, this episode... And the next one, I have lots of really, really, really great stuff in it. And then there's the rest of the episode, too. So I'm struggling with this one. Like, it's not good, but it's not bad. It's, it's yum. This is an episode that's made up of very many great scenes, some good character work, but as an episode itself, it's great just performances. Sorry, great performances. Just gotta yes, get yes, that in yes. there as well. But as an episode in itself, it's fine. It's just perfectly fine. And I was hoping that talking about it would bring more life out of it for me, but it didn't really. It was just okay. And thus, I give it a yum. I mentioned that the next episode has objects in the title, so let's get ready to hear what will be happening next time on Babylon 5. On an all-new Babylon 5. Objects at rest. Episode 21. And here's the DVD description, the only good description. If you bought the Blu-ray, I'm sorry, but you don't get descriptions as good as at all and or as good as this. 
Sheridan and Delenn embark on the new ISA headquarters on Minbar, but acts of betrayal by Lanier and Molari cloud the nascent era's sense of tranquility. Ooh, the betrayal is in the air. Ooh. Ooh, I'm sure that Lanier is going to do something really big and spectacular for his just... prophesized betrayal, and it won't be pathetic. And I'm sure the fact that, that it that won't make my skin crawl. Well, we'll talk about it next time. Oh, Everyone, I thank you so much for tuning in. No, sorry. It. Everyone, make sure to tune in next time for when we talk oh. about Lanier's inevitable but sudden betrayal. Thank you uh, for listening. If you want to check out our social medias, they are under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. If you want to email us, you do that by directing it towards the ether. But uh, you have to label it with yumyumpod at gmail.com. If you want to check out our Patreon, we would very much appreciate that. We put out loads of exclusive content over there including the star wars holiday special because everybody wants to hear about that right as well as we release our discussions on the expanse there first so if you like hearing us talk about the expanse or you're curious to hear us talk about it we are chugging through the show right now we're way ahead on our patreon and if you join the patreon you get to be a part of a group discord where you get to chat with other people who listen to the show share some stuff have a grand old time it's a good place to be so please support us if you have the means to do so but that is it that is all we have i'm slamming my hand on the table and saying no more no more because no more good eating to you jakar could have said good eating to you as his farewell jms is a coward we've established the coward jms but i say it good eating to you good eating to you (laughs) 